0: Hello and welcome back to the Space News Podcast, Space Cadets. My name is Will, and astronomers have detected a 1.3-kilometer radius body at the edge of our solar system. And kilometer-sized bodies like the one discovered have been predicted to exist for more than 70 years. But before I get into that, I want to say thank you to everybody who's been supporting the podcast since day one. Thank you so much for the reviews on iTunes, Thank you for leaving comments and five-star reviews on iTunes. That really, really helps. Same with Spotify. Same with Google Play Store. Anywhere you get your podcast, any and all reviews are really cool. So thank you. Also, thank you for subscribing. And thank you for going to spacenewspodcast.com. There's also a Patreon I started a couple days ago. Patreon.com slash spacenewspodcast. Now let's get back to the edge of our solar system. Back to the 1.3 kilometer radius body at the very, very edge of our solar system. So these small objects, they acted as an important step in the planet formation process between small initial amalgamations of dust and ice in the planets that we see today. So these things, they are Edgeworth Kuiper Belt celestial bodies and they're located beyond Neptune's orbit. And the most famous of these is Pluto, an Edgeworth-Kuiper belt. Objects are believed to be remnants left over from the formation of the solar system. And while small bodies like asteroids in the inner solar system have been altered by solar radiation, collisions and the gravity of planets over time, objects in this cold, dark space, it's very lonely out there, there's not much out there, but these objects preserve the pristine conditions of our of the very early solar system, of our solar system when it was just forming. And astronomers study them to learn about the beginning of the planet formation process. So objects out there with a radii from one kilometer to several kilometers have been predicted to exist, but they're too distant, too small and too dim for world leading telescope such as the Subaru telescope to observe directly. So, a research team led by Ko Iramatsu at the National Astronomical Observatory of Japan used a technique known as occultation, which monitors a large number of stars and watches for the shadow of an object passing in front of one of the stars. The OASIS, the Organized Auto Telescopes for Serendipitous Event Survey team, placed two small 28 centimeter telescopes on the roof of an open-air school on Mayako Island in Japan and monitored approximately 2,000 stars for a total of 60 hours. And after analyzing the data, the team found an event consistent with a star appearing to dim as it is occulted by a 1.3-kilometer radius Edgeworth Kuiper Belt object. So this detection from this 1.3-kilometer radius object um, it indicates that these kilometer sized objects are more numerous than previously thought. And this also supports models where planetesimals first grow slowly into kilometer sized objects before runaway growth causes them to merge into planets. So basically, what happens out there is that there's stuff, right? There's objects out there, small objects, they clump together due to gravity. A larger object, Um, sucks in a smaller object little by little, and that larger object gets a little bit larger because the smaller object is now part of the larger object, and that larger object sucks in something else due to gravity, and then they turn into planetesimals, right? And so then these planetesimals, they do the same thing. It's the same process. They're bigger now. They can get more stuff to attract to them. So eventually, over time, over millions and millions of years, these kilometer size objects turn into regular size planets. And Arimatsu's team said this is a real victory for little projects. Their team had less than 0.3% of the budget of large international projects. They didn't even have enough money to build a second dome to protect their second telescope. And they still managed to make a discovery that is impossible for the big projects. So a little bit of ingenuity goes a long way. And now that they know the systems work, they can investigate more and more of these objects and get more detail. And the team said that they have their sights set on the still undiscovered Oort cloud out beyond that. So they're going to continue further out from this planetesimal, from this little object, this one kilometer object. They're going to go out to the Oort cloud. If you're not familiar with what the Oort cloud is, it's a theorized shell of icy objects that lie beyond the Kuiper belt. So this is just a theory. Nobody has seen it yet, but they want to go study this. It is icy objects that exist in the outermost regions of the solar system. It's named after astronomer John Oort, who first theorized its existence. And the Oort cloud is roughly spherical. It is thought to be the origin of most of the long, period comets that have been observed. In the Oort cloud, uh, the particles in it are theorized to be the remains of the disk of material that formed the sun and all of the planets. And astronomers now refer to these primeval objects as protoplanetary disks. In the Oort cloud, it's located around 2,000 AU from the sun. That's where it starts. And the cloud itself stretches out almost a quarter of the way to the nearest star, Proxima Centauri. It's spherically shaped and consists of an outer cloud and a torus, donut-shaped inner cloud. So that's what they want to study next, and that's unbelievable. That's absolutely cool. And from there, who knows what's out there, right? I mean, there could be so many new discoveries out there in the Oort Cloud. And hopefully they can secure a bigger budget next time. Now, let's go from all the way out in the Oort Cloud and let's swoosh back towards Mars. NASA is preparing to send astronauts to Mars, the first batch of them, and it issued a challenge to the public. That challenge was find a way to build a livable habitat on the red planet. There was a caveat that facility, it needs to be autonomously 3D printed and made from materials found on Mars itself. And this challenge, announced in 2015, has three different phases. The first two phases focused on the concept of a facility, and the third focused on the finished virtual design and the partial construction of the habitat. So Northwestern joined the challenge at the beginning of the third phase and placed fifth out of 18 teams in the first round, winning money. They won $17,000 and became the highest-ranking university in the competition. So this team, they went about the business. They got a second year civil engineering graduate student to lead the project. And they had a group of undergraduate and graduate students across multiple disciplines, ranging from civil engineers to political science majors. And why would a political science major want to do this kind of project? Hmm. Well, it all worked out, so it doesn't matter. These folks did it. The project was shaped like a dome, and the habitat proposed by the NU team was designed to be both resilient and efficient, and that if all the required materials were readily available to the printer, it would only take about 15 days for a facility to be completed. So Jonathan Meehan and McCormick Jr. and the virtual design team lead said he joined the team. In January of 2018, and worked to create a realistic model of the interior of the habitat. He said when he first started, he worked on the model two to three times a week. During the summer, Mian added, he worked on building the model every single day. Now Mian said, once winter break hit, we knew we had to get a lot done. We had a good framework of what we needed, but we didn't have the video completed. I was probably working five to six hours a day over break. So this bunch of college grads and undergrads, they were up against some really, really tight competition. They were against companies that were really serious. And the 3D Martian team was set up against companies that were dedicated to 3D printing, architecture, and engineering. So these companies did this for a living. They did this to make money. They did this to stay in business. Now, these students... They did it because they had the passion for it and they wanted to do it to prove that they could. So unlike these big corporations and these bigger companies, this team only had one dedicated full time person, but they had a cool trick up their sleeve. They had this thing called Martian concrete or Marscrete for short. It's a cool material. It's made from a combination of sulfur and a Martian soil simulant, or soil found on Earth that has similar properties to its Martian counterpart. And this new type of concrete was much stronger than regular water-based cement. It can dry in a matter of minutes instead of hours. And Northwestern University utilized the Mars Crete in their final design. And they said that the progress of the project is mostly because of the dedication of the students on the team. Everything that was achieved was because of the students. Most of the time it's volunteer work. So I think it's amazing where we are now compared to where we started, said Cusatis, who is a McCormick professor. So the final stage of this challenge begins April 28th, where Northwestern University will have to create a one third size model of their habitat to compete for a top three spot to split a one million dollar prize. So I'm going to dig into this Marscrete stuff for a couple seconds. seconds. Marscrete is created by melting sulfur and soil from Mars. And the concrete mixture has one notably absent ingredient, which is water. And that's one of the things that's hard to find on Mars. So instead, the sulfur is liquidized by being heated up and then mixed with the soil. And after cooling, the sulfur solidifies creating the concrete. So it was used in the 1970s. Material science attempted to use sulfur concrete to build materials on the moon, and they discovered the material would quickly disappear into gas due to atmospheric conditions. And the concrete has been found to shrink during the cooling process, creating cavities and weakening the mixture. However, Northwestern University students realized that the use of the right amount of ingredients about 50% sulfur and 50% Martian soil with maximum aggregate size of one millimeter created a material that's suitable for atmospheric conditions on Mars. So doing these studies, figuring this stuff out, it will be able to build very extremely sturdy structures on Mars and it reaches a compressive strength that is more than double the compressive strength required for residential buildings that are that are on Earth, standards that are on Earth. And practically and financially, the mixture also offers additional advantages. Not only is the concrete recyclable, um, sulfur will melt when it's heated, allowing it to be reused, but is also a much cheaper alternative to transporting building materials from Earth. Now they can just use Marscrete to create our habitats when we get up there. So it's going to be a really great um, composition to create these habitats for future Martians. Um, so they're going to refine the, the recipe a little bit, I'm sure. And MarsCrete will be very helpful when uh, humans first step on the red planet of Mars. So there you have it, folks. The space news for today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I appreciate every single one of you space cadets out there. I'm just a dude that loves this stuff. I have a passion for space stuff. Anything past the Earth, anything on Earth, everything, everything in our solar system, everything in our universe. I'm super pumped about. So I'm going to leave you with this. um, This riddle today. How about that? We'll do something a little bit different. When was there no yesterday? Tweet me at Space News Pod. Hit me up on Facebook at Space News Pod. The question again is, when was there no yesterday? Thank you so much for listening to the Space News Podcast. My name is Will. And Space Cadets, I will see you soon.